Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, welcome along. It's a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week, chatting to Gracie Hart, who writes saga novels. Now, Gracie is leads through and through. And we talk about her love for the north of England and why she sets novels there. Also, you can hear how perfect her drafts need to be and whether that's changed. Now she's been published a fair few novels. And we talk about why she loves writing one specific moment in history. The Gracie Hart books are always Victorian, um, either coming up to the turn of the century or just after the turn of the century in Jedwardian times. But mainly they're, they're Victorian and I enjoy writing about the Victorian times. Um, they, were real, they were really hypocritical, to be honest. Um, you know, they, they enjoyed as much sex and rumpy pumpy as anybody but they always overshadowed it <laughs> you know they always swept it under the carpet so it's quite funny reading about it and what they got up to there is more on the way with gracie hart in this week's writer's routine Welcome along, it's Writer's Routine, the show where we take a look inside the working day, the working life and space and maybe a touch of the brain of some of the world's best authors. My name's Dan Simpson, thank you very much for being there. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, use the contact page over at writersroutine.com, they all come through to me, it is very easy to find. This week we're joined by Gracie Hart. Now Gracie writes family sagas, so these are stories, they are dramas played out through the... Through the romantic lens, it's fair to say, of a specific time in history. That's not to say it's all very twee, it's not all very Downton Abbey. Like, there is real hardship here, there is an accurate reflection of that point of history, and these are problems that we might have today echoed through a couple of hundred years or so. You'll know what I mean when you hear the chat. Gracie has written a fair few novels, most recently A Mother's Ruin, The Girl Who Came From Rags, The Child Left Behind. Uh, The new one is The Baker's Girl. It's all about Meg, who needs to keep her family together. Her mum is ill, her sister is still in school, so she is the one that they all turn to for support. She finds a job through Ted Lund, who is the miserly owner of a local bakery, and in the face of his mismanagement and mistreatment of her, the question is, can Meg turn the bakery around? We talk about why she loves writing saga fiction, 
how her daughter's place of work inspired this novel. Also, what Saga needs to be for her and what a Gracie Hart story needs to be too. That's interesting. She's got many fans, many devoted readers all around the world who know what they want from a Gracie Hart story. How does she know what that is? Also, we chat about her absolute pride of her hometown and how she mines it for story ideas. Uh, And you can hear what uh, a day for Gracie Hart when she's hard at work, when she's coming up to publication, what it looks like. So that's all on the way. And we kick things off. We jump into it, as we always do, with what Gracie sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. Um, Because of the layout of the house, I, I usually write in our dining room. But we have a little corner, which is my office space. And it's filled with books, uh, manuscripts, nice view outside. So it's absolutely lovely. Uh, and I sit at the dining room table nine times out of ten and write because it's easier. What, what's around you on the dining room table? Is there knives and forks or are they squirreled away while you're creative? No, no, no. It's all stored away. I've got a nice bunch of flowers. I've got my notebooks. I've got loads of history books around me. I've got a map of Leeds, which I rely on quite a bit. And I have my little notebook full of data of who's who and who's what and who's what, what colour hair, what colour eyes. So it's just like a little office space on my dining room table. That's amazing. A little layer. I'd like to dive more into that notebook. Just very quickly... The thing with writing in a dining room as opposed to your own specific office is you can't really decorate it that practically. I mean, you can hardly stick a a whiteboard on the wall. You can hardly have a pin board with all your ideas across it. Is there anything around you that just reminds you of the story that you're telling? I have about 90, oh no, I'm exaggerating there, quite a lot of books with all sorts of information in that reminds me of everything. And I I, I flick through it all the time just to remind me who's doing what and who's where. It is like an office. Uh, It's very rare we use the dining room. So I have taken it over, actually. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I have the pile of books that I refer back to if it's a series, so... Yeah, I've got everything that an office usually has, apart from a whiteboard, which I never have used anyway. And just take me into your notebooks then. I'm fascinated by these. So you said that it reminds you who someone is or what their hair colour is. Yeah, um, I mean, at the moment I'm writing uh, the third part of The Baker's Girl. Um, so I keep referring to where Meg was born and what her, par- what her parents were called. Um, and a sister, a sister's background and who, who went with who and whatever. So I've got all that listed down under people's names and what they've, what they've done and where they've been and where, what went on in the lives previous so that I never try and make a fault. <laughs> I say try not to make a fault, but sometimes I do, but I try not to. Now, you've got no whiteboard or uh, pinboard, you said, but have you got anything that lets you plan your story that lets you know what's coming next is that in your notebooks perhaps um i'm one of these authors that makes it up as i go along i know the beginning i know the middle and i know the end but what the what are my characters doing in the meantime is anybody's business uh they lead me i don't lead them oh wow i'm always fascinated to chat to a proper proper pantser well listen you um what what are you writing on? Is it a computer? Is it Microsoft Word? Just run us through those details. It's it's on a little laptop on Microsoft Word. 
Um, I try and write two or three thousand words a day. And uh, in the morning, as of now, I usually go back and edit the, the previous day's work. So, yeah, it's on a little... Oh, so, sorry, just very quickly before we get on to the writing day there, Gracie, uh, we get very interested in the real peculiarities. What font do you choose to write with? Um, oh, gosh, let me have a think. I'm going to have to dob on that one. I can't remember. It's, oh, it's, you, no, hang on. I usually use Gothic for handwriting in it. Oh, Lordy, I can't remember. It's the normal, it's the normal writer's script anyway. <laughs> You've thrown me now. <laughs> on a day when I get up, I usually have my breakfast. I sit and watch the news for 10 minutes. And then I usually come into the dining room and look at what I've written the previous day. Um, correct what I think needs correcting and I usually this is turning the day wrong way around but before I go to bed I usually have a think about what I've written and then the next morning I know what I've got to correct and what not it's silly I get my ideas but just before I'm going to sleep um, so I go through the edits until coffee time about now and then my lovely husband brings me a cup of coffee and then I start thinking planning what I'm going to do that afternoon uh, and then after lunch, I sit down and I write two or three thousand words. And I sometimes come back after tea and write another, depending how the story's going, another thousand or five hundred before I finish for the day, which is usually about eight o'clock. So there's a, there's a lot going on, like very niche. What time will you start your editing of a morning? Um, oh, around about half nine, ten o'clock. And then it go, that goes on till lunchtime. Sorry. No, 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 please. That, that, that's, that's fantastic. So um, how thorough an edit is that? Is, is it just kind of tidying up words here and there? Are you completely moving stuff around? It's just tidying up words and making sure I've got everything that I'm, I'm meant to write in the sentences. Sometimes you think, oh, no, that's not quite, that's not quite full enough. It needs more explanation or it needs a little bit of touching up here and there. So it isn't a full edit. My editors always are, are absolutely brilliant. Uh, they edit it really well once I've submitted the book. And after you've had your lunch, you said that you sit down and you kind of have a think about what's coming in the afternoon. But yet you don't plan. You also mentioned that earlier. So in that t- like when you sit there in the afternoon how much do you know about what those two or three thousand words will contain where where you'll end up come eight o'clock um i usually have a rough idea i have a rough it grows as i write the book so um for an example yesterday uh, one of my characters came back to see a sister and all of a sudden she's come from quite a bad life in london and she's come back to a sister and all of a sudden I thought, well, she can faint on her way home to see her. Now, I hadn't planned that, but it worked out absolutely brilliant. And I think it's a really nice part of the book. So it it just flows as I write. It, it, I, I'm a really strange writer, I suppose. I, d- I don't know, you know. I think I think you might be surprised at how some people plan everything and some people do, do as you do. Now, the, what's interesting, these two, three thousand words... That's a substantial amount. How perfect do they have to be? Nowadays, they have to be as perfect as you can possibly get them. Um, 
the publishers need it as clean as possible. Um, at one time, it was it was a policy of um, it doesn't matter what you write, but now because of costs, everything has to be as good as you can possibly put it down on paper. So I I try and do my best, although I am not far from perfect. <laughs> So you're not you're not that much of a vomit drafter, really. You, you try and make it as clean as you can the first time around. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I never really change the plot much. What I write is what what you usually get. And in in those in that afternoon time, those few thousand words, how easily do you find them coming, or does your energy kind of ebb and flow as the hours tick by? Yeah, your energy ebbs and flows. Um, and sometimes, some days you just cannot write. So some days you've just got to give it up as a bad job. Uh, sometimes I might only write 200 words and think I can't manage it today. And sometimes, uh, quite often I have a walk into uh, my garden and have a look around the garden and get inspiration there and then come back in again. So it depends, it depends on your mood and it depends how your story's flowing as well. Have you ever figured out why that happens? Why some days it just doesn't come together? Sometimes you've a lot on your mind. I mean, I, I've got quite a busy family, so I sometimes worry and think about them. And sometimes I'm just tired uh, and I've no inspiration. So it's just the way I am. <laughs> and I think that happens to a lot of authors. And the deadline also plays a play, part in it as well. If your deadline's coming, you know you've got to sit down and get on with it. Uh, how, how often are you writing? Is it a five-day-a-week job? Yeah, sometimes a seven-day-a-week job. Yeah, I mean, we've had a few family problems, so at the moment it's a seven-day-a-week job just to catch up, um, which is a pity, really, but um, it, it usually turns out fine anyway. I love writing. How many books would you, from the top of your head, have you published? Um, I'd say about 15 now. So you're well into the pattern of getting these done and writing 3,000 words a day, I would imagine you, you could get off a novel fairly quickly. How does a year work for you, Gracie? So when you've published one novel, how much time are you giving yourself to think on the next one? When will you start writing that first sentence? How long does that process take you? It depends on how I feel. Usually, um at the moment, I'm under contract to Simon & Schuster and I have to write nearly three a year for them. So, um, and um, plus I'm with Pan Macmillan under a different name. Um, but it usually takes me about three to four months to finish a book from start to finish. But I'm always planning while I'm writing the next one, if you know what I mean. I mean, at the moment, I'm nearly at the end of, of book three for Simon Schuster in the series of The Baker's Girl. And the next one, I'll have to start thinking about the Pan Macmillan book, which um, I've got a plan in my head and I've made notes. So, it, yeah, it takes about four months per book. How do you cope with that in your head, knowing that you've got to do three a year for one publisher in one genre and then switch over and also do something else for someone else for a substantial part of the year too? How, how do you cope with not just the time management, but also the pressure knowing that you need to work so hard to get this done? You don't get much peace, I must admit, because even if everybody thinks an author's job is lovely, you just sit at your desk and you write, but you don't because you're constantly thinking about dates 
lots to get done, uh, what the author, what the publisher wants from you, um, uh, and and the plots of each book, and it, it, it's just a never-ending book, never-ending story. But I quite like that. I like the pressure. I, I used to work quite a lot when I was a bit younger. So I'm used to pressure and I enjoy it. I thrive off pressure, stupid as I am. Um, so yeah, I um, I mean, I don't mind. And the other publisher, I write saga still, but um, it's around here more than Leeds. So that's not as big a pressure. I guess then it leads us, us, us to think of what, what do you need to know? You've said that you don't really plot at all. You just let the characters kind of get on with it. So when you finished one book and you need to crack on, what do you need to know to start that next story? How, how much do you need to know about what's happening before you type away that first sentence? I, I'm i a history buff. I love reading history. So um, I read history. I'm never away from a book, to be honest. I was reading history last night in bed. Um, so I read history and get the setting for the next book uh, in my spare time. And then um, it comes from there. But when it's a when it's a series like the the Baker's Girl is a series, I have to really look into it for a three for three books, not just one. Um, so that takes a bit of doing. Right. Okay. It. I still. You know. You. I just can't get my head around this amazing thing where all you really need is the location to write the plot i guess how does the plot come from the location so you say that you read a lot of history books so maybe you're thinking of i don't know for instance um let's say you're you're going to write a story in wakefield you know just popping a yorkshire town out of thin air um you you get to learn all about that area where does the plot come from um, it's usually, usually I look what industries are around that area and I pick what she could be or he could be involved with. Um, I can't think of anything in Wakefield, <laughs> but Leeds is, Leeds is known for its wool trade and um, its glass manufacture and its pottery, pottery daft as it sounds. Um, but with the Baker's Girl, it was just, I and my my daughter runs a bakery shop and it would just she gave me the inspiration for this one and I thought there's a bakery shop on every corner and bread was always you always wanted in middle of Leeds so that's how the baker's girl started um but yeah I usually look what industries are about and what that what them people in those industries went through just to make a living and then I get an inspiration from that now just before we move on more to your stories just to cut a couple more questions on the day you mentioned going for a walk around your garden when things are quite hard when it is one of those days when you're struggling what helps you out what have you learned that helps you out perhaps songs of the era you're writing you stick on maybe a cup of tea at a certain point you get your you get your partner to bring you in a coffee yeah a cup of coffee never goes amiss it's lovely and my partner's absolutely fantastic he always makes sure i'm well fed and well Plenty of dr- to drink, not alcohol drink, I don't drink. Um, uh, but the garden usually calms me down a bit and I sit th- sit on the bench up in, up in the garden and I think, well, what would this person be doing and what wouldn't? And it seems to resolve itself once I've calmed, calmed down a little and got away from the computer screen. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We'll be back with more from Gracie in just a sec. Very quickly, a little reminder, a little prod towards our Patreon page. If you're liking the show, if you've learned anything along the way in over 200 or so episodes now, if you've learned anything that has helped the way that you get your stories down, the way that you plan your day, if you've learned any tips that has maybe inched you closer to publication, whatever it is, if we've given you any inspiration, any help, you can support us. You can help us as well. You can help us carry on giving you these chats with the best authors around as often as possible. It's patreon.com forward slash writers routine by becoming a backer just for a dollar or so a month. It's not a lot at all. You get merch, you get our thanks. There is a way for your book to sponsor the show and there is even bonus content there for you. It's all over at Patreon, the easiest way that you can help us out. You can sign up for as long or as short as you want. It doesn't matter. It's a rolling month by month thing. It couldn't be simpler for you. And it just shows your support and helps us carry on as often as we can. To become a backer, we'd love your help at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Right, let's get back to it then with Gracie Hart talking about saga fiction and her new novel that's just come out in paperback, The Baker's Girl. We talk about how the idea came from watching a lot of baking on the telly and the family business very close to her that inspired it. Also, you can hear what parts of history that she still wants to look into and to write about. And we pick things up talking about saga fiction and what the genre means to her. It means to, needs to be a story set around um, a main character and her family and what that family get up to. And... Uh, just the story of their lives and how they go about things through the general days. Um, saga can sometimes be a bit, I don't know, people sometimes look down upon it, but there's a lot of lot of research goes into a saga writing books. Uh, I don't think people realise how much. Did, are they always from a, a, a specific era? Um... <laughs> 
Yes, the Gracie Hart books are always Victorian, um, either coming up to the turn of the century or just after the turn of the century in Jedwardian times. But mainly they're, they're Victorian, and I enjoy writing about the Victorian times. Um, they, were real, they were really hypocritical, to be honest. Um, you know, they, they enjoyed as much sex and rumpy-pumpy as anybody, but they always overshadowed it. <laughs> you know, they always swept it under the carpet, so it's quite funny reading about it and what they got up to. Well, it's fantastic that you've mentioned why you write them because and it's interesting that you said that they can be frowned upon and yeah you're right but I don't <clears throat> excuse me I don't quite know why but you're um I- I'll say this and take this in the in the lovely spirits intended you're very much from Yorkshire great <laughs> crazy you are and you're a northerner uh, am I fine to say that that's fine. I'm really proud of being Yorkshire and Northern. Yeah, that's what my brand name is. Yeah. I, well, I know, and I, I'm from the south, so I live in London right now, and I, I grew up uh, in the home counties. And we, where we are, we're not really proud of our heritage. I guess why are you? What makes you keep going back to tell stories about Yorkshire from the Victorian Edwardian era? What 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 why, what draws you back to that time and that specific place? I know Yorkshire. All my family have come from Yorkshire. I'm Yorkshire born and bred, and I'm so proud of the. I'm proud of the area I live in here, which is right on the Yorkshire Dales. But I was also born in Leeds, so and my son lives in Leeds, and I, I've done a lot of research on Leeds. And it, it was a town that came from nothing really. Um, it was through the industrial period, and I'm so proud of that place. Uh, and the Yorkshire Dales is just a beautiful place to live in. And I think the Victorians were were just they invented everything and did everything. And it was a time of the time where you could make something of yourself if you really put your mind to it. So I admire the Victorians. They were brilliant people. Well, you, you've described to us what a saga story needs to be. What does a Gracie Hart novel need to be? What when a when a, a reader finishes your book? What journey do you want to have taken them on? What experience do you want to have given them? I want them to have a good read for the start off and to enjoy the characters that I put in them, put in my books. Um, and to make them remember my characters because they are quite quite strong. My ladies are always strong. Um, they're not easy ones to be knocked over and trampled on by men. I always make my women strong and I want them to realise, yes, I can do that. If they can do that, I can do that. And that's the feeling I want with every book of mine to be when it's published, that the character's strong and they've come from adverse circumstances and they've made good of their life. And, and that's what usually what my books are about. I watch a lot of baking programmes because I love baking and my mother was a cook. And I'm a cook, and my daughter's a cook, and she has a little shop down in Settle, which is our market town here. And, uh, I mean, originally it was going to be about a shop where people came in and gave all the worries and everything like my my daughter runs. But she's more of a social services than a baking shop, really. Um, um, But then it expanded, and I thought, no, I can put this into Victorian times and make the girl come from hard times and... uh, you know, she knows what she wants to do, but she isn't getting the opportunity to. So I expanded it into this girl that 
that really made something out of her life from nothing and she was determined to do so. So, yeah, it was a bit of my history and my daughter's history and uh, what was going on around us at the time. Do you know what's incredible? I've just Google mapped Settle and I thought I knew my geography of the UK, but it's so far west. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, we're not far off the sea, really. <laughs> no, that's incredible. Listen, I'm massively distracting things. So you've got the idea for the story and then so much of your books are about the character and you described to us earlier the notebook that you have with all your characters and highlighted and what their hair color is and who gave birth to them and all that stuff how do you get to know the character before you sit down to tell their story what process are you doing to understand who this person is that you'll spend 300 odd pages with um the character grows daft as it sounds um, for instance, in The Baker's Girl, there's Meg as the lead character and she she's the mother of them all, really. She's kind and loving, but she also is very strong. And then she's a sister uh, and she's the younger of the sisters and she's really headstrong. Well, that's usually the case in families. There's always one that's headstrong and there's always one that's kind and loving and looks after everybody. So it's basically looking at families and how they work and interact. And I just put it into my characters, you know. Um, I'm one of four children, so I know how families work. <laughs> and I paste stories on my own family, basically. <laughs> I'm the young one, the headstrong one. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. But what's amazing as well is that if you're setting, if these types of characters are cropping up in a few of your stories, in a few of these saga books, how are you making sure that they're different? How are you making sure that, uh, that the family in The Girl from the Rags is different from the family in The Girl from the Pit Lane is different from the family in The Baker's Girl? Oh, they're all completely different because they've all got different um, uh, ways with themselves. Um, oh, it's just hard to explain. They are completely different. Um, um, yeah, because everybody has their own ways in the world, don't they? And, yeah, um, it's hard to explain. Um you just give them their own character and their own sayings and the way they dress and the way they look at one another. And they just build, you just build them up as a different character each time. When you're writing, we've spoken about the perfect words and, but, and you don't plot that much. So when you're writing and you're just going for it and the words are coming out, how much are you thinking about, I guess, the, 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 the structure of, what you're writing I don't mean that with the story I mean that actually very very simply with the words on the page how much are you thinking about sentence length and what the next word is whether it's too floral whether it's too simple whether it can be simplified how much do you think about that side of things Gracie I think about it quite a bit but that comes in with the edits in the morning if I don't think it's fit quite in with the sentence I change it in the morning. Basically, when I'm writing, I get the story down as quick as I can or as good as I can. And then I go back and pick out words and rearrange and refit into refit into what I think should read better when I'm editing in the morning. And is, is that just as simple as coming at it from an, uh, you know, with a different eye because it's at a different time of day? Yeah. Yeah, because you do you do get swept along while you're writing uh, and you have to be careful because 
as you say, I'm from Yorkshire and I tend to write as a Yorkshire woman, which is stupid. I know I know I know English quite well, but I write in a York in a in a Yorkshire style and I have to stop myself every so often and say, No, nobody would write like that. Nobody you know, like yourself, you probably wouldn't know some words that I write in. Um, I often get pulled up saying, Is this a Yorkshire word? <laughs> and you know, I have to re rearrange it so that everybody knows what I'm talking about. So yeah, uh, yeah, you have to structure your words, but usually that's in edits in the morning. Uh, writing fifteen books as, uh, and you've got the Gracie Hart ones, and you've got other stories. How how do you know that you're getting better as an author, and what are you doing to keep learning as you keep writing? Um, looking back on the first book, the first book I ever wrote was a lovely book, but I could find so many mistakes now. Not that a, not a reader would know, but I know I made those mistakes. Um, and the very first book I wrote, it had about 10 different characters in when you really should have three main characters. And it's just, you're learning every time you write a book. Um, with every new editor that you get from your publisher, they tell you you've got certain ticks. Um, I have certain ways of saying this she sighed or she, I, I, I have a habit of saying she sighed or there was tears running down her eyes or her face or things like that that I quite often repeat. And now I realise what I'm repeating all the time. So that's been picked up. So you are learning all the time. Um and it's amazing. It's amazing how much you can learn after writing 15 books. <laughs> it, it's amazing as well that you're, as you said, a, a history buff and always reading different forms of history. I guess I know that you're writing these books at The Baker's Girl now. Is, is there any other types? Of, is there any other places in history that you would like to explore through stories? Um, I'm about to explore World War Two, but that's not as gracey. So I think I shouldn't mention that one. <laughs> but yeah, my next book will be a World War Two book. <laughs> that's it for this week's episode of writer's routine thank you so much to gracie hart for coming on the show the new book the baker's girl is out right now next week we're chatting to the sunday times bestseller joanna cannon all about why she wakes up to get writing at 2 30 in the morning why she doesn't stay in one place when she's working why she wrote her debut in a hospital car park and we chat about her new novel a tidy ending which is on the way. That's with uh, Joanna Cannon next week on the show. In the meantime, you can support the show, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. You can give us a follow on Twitter, we are at writers pod, and you can get in touch, writersroutine.com. And I'll see you next week, same time, same place, chatting with Joanna Cannon. Until then, bye. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.